0: A 40k podcast that teaches you tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. host, Sean, sometimes not as Puppy, and with me, our good host Shaylin Allen West. Greetings, and our evil host Ben Jurek.
1: Welcome back, listeners.
0: Welcome back, indeed. So this week we're going to be talking about. Uh, scoring and all that kind of stuff in the the new primary missions but before we get into any of that i think we hit the most important topic when it comes to that the way that is going to tip you over every single game 10 points for a fully painted army
2: fully painted is a little strained there just saying
0: Uh, GW does have an official standard for what counts as fully painted now. It is no longer wildly variable from uh, tournament to tournament. There is a single universal standard that TOs can use. They're obviously not obligated to.
1: Are you telling me I can't just prime it and put two color stripes on each shoulder?
0: Uh, you cannot, according to the GW, uh, fully painted standard, because there's no longer three colors. Uh, they they changed that specifically because of the primed with two stripes issue.
1: God dang it.
0: I know. How am I going to get
1: my battle-ready army now?
0: It's it's essentially impossible. There is no way to do it. Uh, I think Shaylin
1: might know a way.
2: Uh, the answer is, uh, like, just like with the three colors and two stripes, is you find the exact minimal amount of effort required and do that. It's just more work now.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely... It, it's not as hard as people make out to have a painted army. Um, it may not look as good as you want, but you can absolutely get a painted army ready in a relatively small amount of time. Colored primer... Is huge. It can save you a lot of time. And if you're not using cold primer, an airbrush uh, can also be a tremendous time saver, especially for vehicles.
2: You, you can also do things like, I personally like kind of an assembly line strategy where I lay out a unit, and then I paint the relevant detail on... Bam, 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 bam! Yep. Switch out colors on my brush, new relevant detail.
0: Yeah, uh... We- weapons or shoulder pads or faces are a good detail to do there it's like i'm just going to do all the flesh one at a time on 10 models
1: yeah i have a couple of i have a couple of tips as far as how to get something in battle ready quickly um and something that actually looks relatively good and mm-hmm. uh, first off i want to before i say my second option um say that yes i do paint and do put things together uh they're not they're not i wouldn't call them the best but Um, you know, I, I'm a fan of the contrast paint series. I'm a fan of using Mm -hmm. spray paint and maybe a little bit of blue tech to cover up one piece and then spray paint again. Mm -hmm. Um, You can, you can turn out 30 orc boys pretty quick. Uh, But my, uh, my second favorite fastest and easiest way is pay someone else to do it.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: That definitely works.
0: And there's, there's a lot of stigma around that. Uh, I'm not going to judge people for not wanting to do that because personally I kind of feel like, "Eh, it's my creation, I kind of want to have it done myself. Um, But at the same time, you know, different people have different amounts of free time um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with paying someone to paint your army any more than there's something wrong with paying someone to, you know, assemble your army or to design your army and produce a kit that they send to you. Because, you know, that's what Games Workshop does, and those are the kits that almost all of us use. So, uh, none of us is, with very rare exceptions, we are not creating our armies from scratch. We're using varying levels of other people's work to do so.
2: Yes, and I will also at this time point out that we did link a how-to-paint-with-shaky-hands uh, video yep. on our Facebook page, so that's helpful to you.
0: Very useful for uh, people who may have some like, motor, f- fine motor difficulties or, or something like that that uh, make it a little trickier for them to paint. We certainly know a few folks like that.
2: Yeah, and there's no shame for it looking good, necessarily. Like Your army doesn't literally have to look good, it just has to have paint on it.
1: I've seen some horrendous, relatively, if you're looking at the like uh, the hobby aspect, paint jobs. But at the end of the day, they had everything colored. It looked mm-hmm. like a unit. And everything, painted the models just looked better than gray models. So let's just, let's get past that point. Well, like you should have painted models. And,
0: and And also, like, you can say it looks good or bad. But that's all relative, and I tell you what, I, I can do an okay paint job on my models. I have I have some models that turn out reasonably well, but then you put them next to the folks who are winning Best Painted LVO or Golden Demons or whatnot, and it looks like garbage. Uh, mm-hmm. you, there's always going to be someone who looks better than you, so don't feel bad because your armies don't look, quote, good enough.
1: Well, my first thing is my paint jobs are awful. It's, yeah. I, I'm... Not fooling myself with that, and then <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I definitely, um, I've, I've painted you know hundreds of models now because I choose to play horde armies for some reason. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Smart choice. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: like I said, I showed the last episode. I showed up to my first RTT with a fully painted orc army. Um, mm-hmm. I thought I needed them painted. I spent way too many hours doing that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but they're your orcs, dang it.
1: Hey, man, yeah. I would have gotten 10 points if I yeah. it was ninth edition. I'm, and I will pay somebody else to get me 10 points. That is how shallow I am. I am <laughs> the evil one. Well, let's go ahead
0: and take it from there into the, uh, let's say, the actual source of your points in this game, uh, which is the primary missions. We've talked about the secondary missions already in a fair amount of detail in one of our earlier episodes, And there's been a lot of discussion of them kind of all across lots of different places. I think everyone's favorite topic right after uh, reviewing the latest release from GW is discussing secondary objectives, because just everyone wants in on that action. Uh, But the primary missions are not as commonly discussed, even though they are the primary mission.
2: They are worth more points than the secondary mission. If you fail Did, all of your secondaries, you can still beat your opponent on primary.
0: Well, they're worth the same amount. They're both 45, although you are far more likely to actually get 45 from the primary than you are from the secondary.
1: Yeah, the main thing about primaries is this is the option you have to impact your opponent the most. Um, yeah. because it's the it's your chance to interact it's this this is really what the game is based around it's your interaction with your opponent on two or two or more places on the board actually four or more places on the board speaking of these this case um but that's really how this game plays regardless of models or anything else um it really is what points of the board do you occupy um yeah and are you are you on those specific points and and how do you interact around that and the, the the giant you know multi-million uh variable chance of everything that can happen in this game is based around that simple fact
0: yeah so let's kind of get into the actual nitty-gritty of what this what the primary objective is uh so there are Technically two of them, uh, depending on which of the nine missions you are playing, uh, they are kind of split between the two different variants, which are Take and Hold or Dominion. Um,
1: Domination.
0: Domination, sorry. Domination. I think Dom- Dominion is... I don't know. Maybe Domination is actually the secondary as well. Good naming job, GW. Very original. Um, <laughs> but uh, the relevant difference is you're able to score up to 15 points each turn. Uh, five points each for three different things you need to do. Uh, Holding one objective, holding two objectives, and holding more objectives is the take-and-hold variation. Uh, the yes. domination is holding two objectives, holding three objectives, and holding more objectives. So you can see they're actually very similar, but there is a kind of subtle difference between
1: them.
2: Uh, it turns out a matters, especially when you have small elite armies.
0: Yes.
1: Yeah, and then it, it kind of, it, it does flip up. Um, Like, especially during a a multi-game tournament, like a five- or six-game tournament, uh, which exact missions you're going to play. And it's like, okay, well, Mm -hmm. this is a domination mission, um, has six objectives. uh, Okay, three is, like, getting to three is where you want to be, so.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, let's kind of go into how this is different from before. Because I think a lot of people who are listening to this probably played... A lot of ITC missions in the past, uh, maybe even for a couple different editions. And even though the ITC has changed their missions a lot of times over that time period, uh, they've tended to share a lot of features in common. And those are features that are not necessarily found in these new missions anymore. Obviously, holding objectives and holding more objectives was absolutely a thing you did in the ITC, but there's some stuff missing.
2: Yes, uh, the very first and biggest difference with in ninth edition is that you hold at the beginning of turn. Yes. Not at the end of turn, not at the end of game turn, beginning.
0: Yeah, that is a huge change, and one we've touched in in a lot of other episodes as well.
1: Yeah, they uh, they added an entire phase for that, and then mm-hmm. you see it, there's the, the big thing missing is, you know, we're looking at two points a turn, is there's there's no killing. Yes.
2: Yeah.
0: The The complete absence of any contribution of killing to the primaries is such a huge change. Um, because that completely overturns what some armies want to do. Like Tau, for example, or Imperial Guard. Like, suddenly their entire game plan is different. hmm So...
1: I'm of an opinion of this is a very friendly uh, version of primaries. Um, I believe it makes way more armies valid and way more playstyles styles valid. Um, I'm pretty happy it's here, like, if we want to talk about an opinion on it. But it also, like you said, as you first mentioned with Tao, they're, they're in a relatively rough spot with this change in this edition.
0: Yeah, and there's obviously a lot of other factors playing into that as well. Uh, a lot of armies changed significantly in power level with this. I I think this is a, a good overall thing because it really puts the focus on the objectives. It puts it on this very short race where it's like you need to be on objectives immediately and you need to be sitting there and doing your thing from the very start of the game or else you are playing with a leg down
1: yeah it it makes the as we mentioned in earlier episodes, it does make the first turn a tiny bit advantageous like there is there's is some yes. percentage there um that we've noticed already in this edition that the first turn matters more um but we have a chapter approved right around the corner already, so you know fret not listeners.
0: And the the way these mission formats are set up, those that chapter-approved missions potentially just completely overwrite these ones. Um, so it's very hard to predict what will come out of any of that, Whether whether GW intends to change that philosophy or whether they're going to stick with this and they think they mostly have it on the
1: head. Actually, I want to talk about that for a minute. Like, we're okay. in an area, we're in a place now to where our missions can change, like, every X amount of months. Not even a full year. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, that was technically true before, but uh, they're likely to do so now.
1: Yeah, this and like with the with with all the world using the same book now for the most part, like it's it's an interesting concept to think about as far as you know what they're going, what be, people will try and do with balancing, and like you know this the game might not look the same six months from now. Like we have our Strip. core rule set of stuff we're playing by, but what exactly are we playing to? Like, what is what is the mission set? Um, and yes. I find that to be a very kind of interesting and progressive uh, way of game design.
0: It mm-hmm. it does kind of make the game into having seasons. Yeah. Um, Even absent, like, an ITC season or anything like that 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 would otherwise break stuff up differently. Um, Because if you're playing a a new mission pack, then you need to be looking at the game in a new way. Because the missions are what defines how you win the game. Uh, So whether your codex is good or not, if you can't win the game, it doesn't really matter.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, as and as we saw from this first intro and first few months of ninth edition, um, we've already seen just how much these sets of rules change things with the eighth edition codexes. Absolutely. Uh, so the the chance for change and the chance for just wild meta shifts and wild you know play styles changing based around just these things is uh is something to pay attention to. Um, and I'm something. I'm excited to talk about as we get go through these evolutions. Yeah.
0: Back to the, uh, the sort of more immediate feature of uh, the primary missions, uh, I think another thing that is surprisingly relevant is that you can only score 45 points from the primary mission, um, which if you are maxing out your score, you can potentially do that in three turns, which is pretty fast. And... Because tabling does not award an automatic victory anymore, it's entirely plausible that you just go gangbusters for those first three turns, score 45 points, and then your opponent sweeps you off the table and you still win.
2: Chances are, if you're scoring a 15-point turn, your opponent is not also scoring a 15-point turn, just as an FYI.
0: Yes, that is virtually impossible to happen. Uh, Technically, can show up but uh on a given turn it's very unlikely that both of you score 15s
1: yeah i think it's i think it's definitely that style of play and that specific uh cap essentially mm-hmm. um enables certain certain styles of play and it enables you to um kind of progressively not do as well also uh is, yeah. is an important is an important feature there where it's like well i didn't do it didn't max out my all four of those turns, but I still gained 40 points. I still scored tens. Um, It's only five, five South of max. You're doing fine, uh, with your, with your painted score and a decent secondary score. You're still in the eighties and eighties are eighties are winning scores. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, speaking of winning scores, uh, I know we haven't gotten to play as many games as we might like, and obviously haven't gone to any tournaments. Um, what, in your experience, feels like a uh, winning score in the primary? Like, if, if you say to yourself, if I get X points, I probably win the game, what is, what is X for the two of you?
1: Uh, for me, a close game has always been in the 60s, where me and my opponent clawed each other mm-hmm. and we play efficiently and well. Like 60s is a is your 60s feel like your old mid 20s for the ITC. Um, okay. And then and then 70 plus seems to be the like tipping point. Shaylin?
2: So if I'm gonna be honest, every single time you and I have played, because you're the only person I've played this so far. Right. What has happened is we've added up primaries, determined a primary winner, then added up secondaries if that even mattered. So I've sure. never actually seen the total scores ever. Fair enough. <laughs> I can't tell you. <laughs> uh,
0: I think my intuition from the the games would be because we were I, I was typically scoring in the like uh, thirty to thirty five uh points in on the primary in a bunch of those. Um, and I, typically it was the primary mission that I was beating you on in those.
2: Oh, thoroughly. I, I basically lost every single primary.
0: Yes, but you, our secondaries were were often very close to each other. Um, yes. Even in missions that you lost, you, we typically both had similar secondary scores, um... But it was the primary where I was I was kind of like winning out, uh, and I was seeing a lot of like 30, 35, 40 points in those. Yeah, I think I think Ben has the the right idea that if you're seeing like a a 60 plus or a, then you're doing okay and if you're doing, seeing a 70 plus, then you're probably winning. Not guarantee, but you know that's that's probably what you want to be aiming for.
1: And then 80s is the, is the, like, is 80s feel like the old 30, where, like, if you have more than 80, it's very unlikely you're losing. Um, Yes. But, you know, you will, you will see people in the 80s still lose. Um, And then 90s are like the more runaway score. And of course, there's the max out 100. So 90s are like your old 32, um, Mm -hmm. you know, 32, 33, 34. uh, those are the, like, okay, well, I'm getting pretty close to max here, um, and then, so if you want, like, a, a scale of what new scoring versus old scoring looks like, uh, it's, you know, it's somewhere around that point. It's, I, I would say it's close to 3x, but it's it scales in a weird spot, I guess is the way to say it, because, like, yeah. if you're having a close game with your opponent, they're also scoring somewhat well in the primary, which is why it puts you both in the 60s. Right.
2: And I guess the reason why I feel secondaries aren't as important is because I'm so inherently used to scoring and being mindful from them from all the ITC I've done over the years that primary is really where I need to focus.
0: Yeah,
1: and I think that's well, I actually think you have a point there, Shaylin.
0: Yeah, that's I think um, that's a a good point overall. Do uh, you want to kind of talk about that a little bit?
2: Sure. Um, so. My very first game of Ninth edition was complete trash fire. I was not in an emotionally good place, and I brought a remarkably crappy army to the t- table. But um, I still did very well in the secondaries, and that's from rote habit mm-hmm. of playing ITC for so many years. Um, I'm mindful of them. I'm totally... I've got all these little, like watching them as I'm going, like, okay, I'll need to do this and this and this and get these guys over here so I can do that action so I can get these points. Um, my mind is already looking at the game from that level. So if mm-hmm. you're used to playing with Mailstorm missions or proper secondary missions a la Nova or ITC style, that's not something you need to learn this edition because the primary mission and the whole way of, like, Getting onto the objectives immediately and then hanging in there—that's mm-hmm. a different skill set from what I'm used to.
0: Yeah, I think that's going to be true for a whole lot of people, uh, just because how prevalent many of these these alternate mission sets were last edition
1: and as a quick mention one reason you see this is because the secondaries or at least the hot secondaries a lot of people are picking are your secondaries that don't really interact with your opponent that you can kind of pull off so um secondaries are relatively easy to uh to acquire in this edition so some of the secondary points you know are somewhat right offable like you you should, you should be scoring um, those, those secondary points. You shouldn't get denied them that often. Like, if you score less than 20 on secondaries, something went pretty wrong.
0: Yeah. yeah. I would say there are a lot of secondaries that you can score a 10 on without having to try particularly hard, uh, presuming that you built your list correctly. Um, and that means you have a solid 30, maybe 35 coming out of that. As we said with the primary, a 35 is a, uh, quote, winning score. It's it's where you want to be. Uh, and not many lists can easily get 45 out of their secondaries. That is quite difficult. But it is pretty plausible for most lists to get 45 on the primaries. So that's kind of where more of the variance is, I feel. I would say a, a big difference that Ben kind of touched on there... Um, you can deny your opponent primary points. You know, a lot of the secondaries, it's very hard to deny your opponent them. If they decide they're going to do deploy scramblers, in most cases, you can't stop them. It's, it's just not feasible. But you can absolutely deny your opponent primary points because you have very direct means of interaction with that. Obviously, Domination is the easier one to do this on. Um, Hold 2, Hold 3 is, in fact, harder than Hold 1, Hold 2. But you can certainly do it on either of them, especially depending on what the objective counts are like. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the second half. Um, But... A big part of this edition, as we've talked about in some of our previous episodes, notably Flipping Objectives last time, um, is going to be finding where your opponent has those uh, weaker spots in their army, and hitting those to deny them that start-of-turn scoring. Yes.
1: I have a preference toward domination maps versus taken-hold maps, um, especially on... This style of like really bulky resilient units, because mm-hmm. um, I, I can it's, I feel like, and this might just be me, I feel like it's easier for me to plan to hold a certain number, uh, than plan to be like, okay, I do you really, really do to make sure I hold more. Um, I feel like I can play uh, the domination maps a bit better than the take and hold maps, but that might just be me.
0: I think that varies by the type of army played, um, obviously high unit count armies uh which I think kind of is a lot of the style of orcs you have been experimenting with um are very good at spreading out to objectives and and playing to the strengths of domination maps.
1: Yes. Yeah, I got I got a little bit of both. I got my multi, I got uh, my crapton Orc boys and Gaz cool lists mm-hmm. um, which are actually doing relatively well like meta speaking
0: yes. wise. We we kind of said it when the the edition first dropped, and I think it's definitely coming true. Hordes are still good,
1: yeah, and the mechanized lists are also pretty goddamn good. Um, also, and then literal. there's and then there you have beer coozies and and, uh, and squigos, but that's a different yeah. Story.
0: Well, we'll you know we're not going to discuss that.
1: <laughs>
0: so a a really big thing to sort of. Uh, Holding objectives and also denying your opponent objectives, uh, and ideally both, and flipping an objective, um, is resilience and speed. Uh, The units that have at least one, but ideally both of those, can be extremely powerful when it comes to controlling objectives.
2: However, often speed is not affiliated with the words objective secured.
0: Yes.
2: We'll get into why that's important later.
0: Yeah. Uh you don't you don't typically get them both, but uh obviously that is a sort of you have to make your choices here and there. Um but there are there are a lot of objectives that you're going to not everyone is going to be on every objective. You know, there's if there's six objectives in a map, um, it's just not feasible to hold four or five of them most of the time. Um, which means there's often going to be empty objectives that you can just bop a unit over to and grab real quick. Um, and if that means putting you ahead of your opponent, or even just tying them to deny that hold more, um, that makes a really big difference in your score.
1: Yeah, I was a I was playing a domination game where me and my opponents, uh, we worked um, so like well against each other that neither of us ever scored more than a hold two, like it was it a happen. very brutal game, um, and a, it was a five objective map and like we neither of us ever scored more than hold two on it, so it was it was relatively low scoring and very close.
2: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna comment though because all armies have gotten smaller now.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: you don't have the unit capacity you used to. So an important thing to think about here is how much do I really need to hold? Yes. On a domination map, they want you to hold... It's like three is okay and four is better. But three is okay. So if your army can't really handle four, then trying to maintain your three is way more
0: important. Yes, you'd rather have a solid three than a shaky four. Uh, because yes. if you have a shaky four, your opponent's going to push you off one or two of those. And if they push you off two of those, you're in trouble.
1: Real fast. Yeah, going from four to two is a really rough position to be in. Like As we talked about in a, in a recent episode about flipping, like if you get yeah. double flipped, yes. ouch, ouch. You're,
0: <laughs> you're going to be struggling. And part of that choice in terms of like, what can I hold and what can I expand is going to be influenced by which part of the game your army plays best in. Uh, if you're an army that does real well early on, and you're just going to, like, turns two and turns three, you're going to get these blowout 15-pointers, and then you're going to lose all your steam and turn four and five, you're going to get, like, ten or maybe even just five. Um, maybe you should gamble for those more objectives early on to ensure you get the 15-pointer. Um But if you're playing a much more conservative army that plays better later in the game, and you know that turn two, I'm going to get five points, ten if I'm really lucky and my opponent doesn't push me, Uh, but turn five, I'm going to see 15 points coming my way, Um, you're going to need to look at those pushes for more objectives very differently depending on where your army's natural strength is.
1: I also want to talk about the late game here for a second because we always focus yeah. on, like, deployment in your first few turns or those explosive turns. Yeah. Um, in this edition, with it being really killy oh, um, and yeah. it being, um, and, like, where you are in the map being super important, there's so much small positioning things that matter mm-hmm. um, for, like, a random, a random small unit or a unit of, like, two dudes left out of 10 hiding somewhere like you, you, yeah. you shouldn't be finishing games, especially your closer games with more than just a couple units left. Like um, there's not a lot going on at the end of the game, as far as what models you have on the table mm-hmm. and like a simple almost dead unit or like something random um, that youth that might seem random on turn three uh, when it happens it ends up being game winning in turn four and five. So always, Always remember to move those guys. Those guys are still important. They're still in play. Make sure yeah. you use them. They're going to matter.
0: The the later the, the game goes, the more important each individual model is. And that's why preserving... like Don't throw away that two-man squad. Save them for later, because they will matter later on. That single buggy that escaped with one wound... Move it behind something. Protect it for a turn. Don't let your opponent just kill it with a with a bolt gun because they had one laying around. Keep it alive, and then on turn five, when it dashes onto an objective behind something, all of a sudden your opponent's in real trouble.
1: Yeah, don't don't suicide your units. Don't don't count anything out um, with their primaries being what they are and the game playing the way it does, um, one guy randomly coming out of a ruin and winning the game is definitely possible. Absolutely.
2: That is especially why it's important to practice playing through till the end. Yes. Because you'll see a lot more of that and how it works.
1: Yeah, your random weird boy fight phases where like your characters are getting in combat, don't get in combat, and all mm-hmm. the like crazy stuff that you know you don't normally want to happen, but you have to Gotta make plays.
0: Right? hmm Well, let's go ahead and kind of wrap up this first half by talking about Objective Secured and its various variants that every single codex has a slightly different one of. Um, obviously, this rule has been important for a while now. We've seen through 7th edition, through 8th edition, and even before that, that Objective Secured was a very important rule in a variety of circumstances, but I think it's really, like, moved to the forefront of the game, is one of the most important things you can have is the objective-secured rule.
2: Yes. So, let's put this context here. Sean puts a R on an objective. My mm-hmm. objective-secured terminator sits there. It's one jerk. He's still alive. Steals the objective, denies Sean five points. Real I mean,
0: story. Hell, I can put... 30 drones on that objective, one Terminator will still steal it.
1: Yeah, as long as he
2: has the right rule.
1: Yeah, the objective secured is become a very forefront um, keyword because of the way the game plays with, with specifically elite and other very heavy units that you want to be able to move on to objectives or sit and hold objectives, but you still need obsec, which is almost always in troops and sometimes outside troops or sometimes army special rule like custodies um but at the end of the day like normally outside those small cases um it it forces you to have to play with those units and you have to do something Mm -hmm. about them so um it, it really changes list building it really changes um how like but you're your guarantees like oh well i'll have my entire death blob here well if your entire death blob is elites it doesn't matter um, if yes. they if they get onto it with a with a with a mob of you know 30 demons or whatever you're you're in a rough spot
0: mm-hmm. and it is it is a very legitimate play just to ram a handful of objective secured models onto an objective that you know are going to die but will stay alive long enough to deny your opponent that objective and deny them some points
2: Yes.
1: I have on more than one occasion taken a singular mega knob who's OBSEC because of his clan, um, mm-hmm. and he consolidated in combat onto an objective where he, where he's fighting a crap ton of chaos spawn. Um, mm-hmm. And whoop, that's that's a 10 point swing right there out of that. Yes. That's absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's huge.
0: If your army has access to OBSEC or OBSEC modifying rules, Like a stratagem that can give it to a unit for a turn, or just, you know, like Ben mentioned, a clan that gives it to everyone, or a way to deny your opponent obsec, because there actually are a small handful of those. Um, You can make a huge difference in the game with that, and you should absolutely be paying attention to those rules now, because obsec is critical to the game.
1: Special shout-out to the Salamander's Warlord trait for that. It's
0: real good. It's real, real good. So let's go ahead and take a little break to refresh ourselves because we ran a tiny bit over on time here. So we'll hydrate up and grab ourselves some sort of, I don't know, far future power bar or something, and when we come back we'll talk about some of these missions in a little bit more detail. And we are back. So we've talked about sort of the generalities of playing these missions and the the sorts of things you need to be paying attention to. Uh, But let's actually talk about them in a little bit more specificity. So there are nine missions in this mission pack, which I think... Just right out of the gates, that's an interesting feature because I don't believe any of the previous mission packs actually had that many. They were all six or fewer, I believe.
2: Six, yeah.
1: I I, I couldn't tell you, to be honest. Well, I mean, ITC-wise, six or fewer, but, you know, I think, I'm... I... But I, I believe
0: Nova and Renegade and all of the other alternative mission packs all were six or fewer missions as well. I don't believe there were any nines. Um which is interesting because it means if nothing else, you will not play the same six missions at a standard GT. Um, you know, there's mm-hmm. you're not going to have enough rounds for it. Now, if you go to a, a a super major style event, then yeah, you may play all nine of them. But uh, at your 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 standard two day GT, you're not going to play all of these missions.
1: I can play three RTTs and not play the same mission throughout. You know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Those that's three that's actually surprisingly big, uh, because you're you're just going to see more variance in the actual missions, even though the missions themselves are fairly similar. I would say, um, is that your impression as well?
2: That's my impression.
1: Yeah, I, I would I would give a I'd give a pretty good impression that. Even though there's nine missions, they're not. There's not really nine missions. They're really, they're really close. Yeah, there's
0: there's really two missions and some slightly different deployment maps and objectives because that's basically where the main difference in them is. Speaking so, of which, I find the uh, the fact that all of them are fixed objectives, which ITC players are more used to, many other people may not be. Uh, that. That part is very interesting. But on top of that, they're also all fixed deployment maps, uh, which is pretty unusual in my experience.
2: Um, I think this might be to help TOs run events more smoothly. Sure. Is, um I do know we went to that one tournament out in Canada where the TO reset the objectives on each table between turn, mission, uh, yes. games. So it can assist with things like that. Um, It's also, again, it's part of that standardization we're experiencing now. So it's like, Mm -hmm. well, everyone is playing the same game and there's no, well, I had Vanguard for this mission and Vanguard makes it extra hard. Well, that's not a thing anymore.
1: I I like the variables being taken away. I also like the fact that your deployment is determined by the mission. So you know, Mm -hmm. you kind of know exactly what you're getting getting into. And once again, on a playtest and practice side, I only have nine missions to test. Sure. I'm not going to run into a crazy variable where, what, you had six deployments and six different missions, so you got 36 things that could possibly happen. I now have nine. Nine's reasonable.
0: (laughs) Yes, you can test every one of the nine missions. You could not feasibly test every one of the 36 possible, you know, quote, missions from previous ITC.
1: And then going first, going second, add doubles that, so you get 72 um well and you
0: want to play more than one game because one game is not representative so you're doing at least 144 games to test everything yeah it was not it was not achievable before um this is a much more reasonable number
2: and it also means that i have the comfort of knowing my missions have been more thoroughly play tested more thoroughly looked at yes um, because of that mechanical
0: difference Kind of playing into that uh, is something that I have noticed that even though the objectives are placed differently in each mission, they tend to have very similar spreads. Like someone did a, uh, a mapping of the objectives onto the board that's like... You know, here is where all of the objectives in every game would look like if they were all placed down. And in a lot of them, they were kind of like stacked on top of each other or within a couple inches of each other. There are like specific zones where most of the objectives are going to be sitting.
1: I find that very good for tos and for players in general mm-hmm. um, to for for terrain placement and practice and everything else. Like your garage hammer games are now far mm-hmm. more representative of actual games, or they definitely can be.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. uh, presuming you like stick to these assumptions and you know terrain and whatnot.
2: I will also comment that as an autistic person, one of I use like lots of little mental tricks all the time and one of them is well if i'm looking the same general area for objectives every time that's just less thinking i have to do later
0: it's true um you kind of you have a a gut feeling for where those objectives are going to be because they're where they are pretty much every time
2: i can also easily tell if someone has moved them like hey that objective is noticeably off now it happens
0: yeah yeah, it uh, it does. That it, that's you know not even on purpose. Like sometimes just like stuff gets knocked around the board. It's it's a thing. Uh, the yeah. town
2: our top fell over. Oh crap!
0: <laughs> yep, yep. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, the counts in this game. So there are technically nine different deployments um realistically speaking i would say the number is significantly smaller than that um because there's really like three maybe four if you're if you're being generous um being sort of in the style of the old like Dawn of War, where you're along the sh- long edges, hammer and anvil, where you're on the short edges, and then the vanguard or spearhead, where you're kind of in the corners. Um, and they actually have an even split of those three types, which is uh, nice to see. It does not favor any one of them.
1: Yeah, I think it's a very balanced for what they did, and they were yep. st- they made a they made a balanced setup with you know with what they have and like i said it's the gameplay is very similar and those small differences that you see like taking hold domination Mm -hmm. um and the just varied deployment types it's i think it's generally just overall good
0: yeah um although to contrast with that uh all missions use either four five or six objectives the spread of those is not balanced out. There is only one four objective mission, but there are five, six objective missions. So the game very heavily favors these uh, larger, more spread out sorts of things, where you're having to contest with a lot of different objectives.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't like the four. I don't like the four one. I'll tell you that already. It is
0: not my favorite. We'll sort of we'll come to it in just a minute here as we we talk about each of these in very specific detail and all that. But yeah, it's it feels too much like for players who remember the old uh, capture and control, where you had one objective in your deployment zone and the enemy had one objective in their deployment zone, and that was it you were you had two objectives and no one was either ever going to take the other one and so it was just a tie most of the time um it feels a lot like that where you each have two objectives in your zone and you're each going to hold two objectives pretty much every turn of the game and that's what's going to happen yep yeah um the five objective ones do not feel as bad because they pretty much all have an objective in the center. Um which when you have that central objective, you have something to fight over. Um scrumming. Yes, like it 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 provides a point of contention basically. Um and that that's sort of like that tipping point of like oh, you're gonna hold two and I'm gonna hold two. Who's gonna hold the center? Let's fight for it. Uh, that that creates a much more dynamic sort of set of action. Yes, the the six objective ones obviously are sort of the default, um, but uh, do be very wary of the differences between them. You know how many of them are in deployment zones versus how many of them are in the mid field. That makes a huge difference. How close are they to the each other? Because there's some of them where like there is not an objective within like 15 or 16 inches of each other. And there's others where it's like, yeah, these two are like just over 10 inches apart. Um those those two placements are not the same at all, even though there are technically the same number of objectives.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I I I like the ones that are closer together personally.
2: Uh,
0: as an orc player, I'm with. not surprised. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, and that's why it's an important, valuable thing to assess. Like, you know your army's speed. You know how fast it takes to get somewhere. If everything is mm-hmm. all spread out, grab what makes sense, not what you, th- not what you'd like to have.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and think about like how fast am I. Can I get from one objective to another in a single movement? Do I have to advance to do so? Uh, because if you have one of those ones where the objectives are, say, 10 inches apart, or uh, 12 inches is what the actual distance, but uh, given the 3-inch radius around them, it's it's actually smaller than that. Um, but if can, can I get from one control zone to another in a single movement and how much is that going to impede my game plan to do that if you just got like regular six inch moving infantry you're gonna have to hustle a little bit uh but if you've got your 16 inch eldar grav tank that can just zip around wherever the hell it wants um you have a lot more flexibility in moving from objective to objective and in fact you may be able to threaten multiple objectives like yeah i can go to any of these three objectives next turn and you can't stop me
2: and uh, some stratagems, uh, special rules, and spells have become a lot more prevalent because it's like, well, I'm just gonna j- jump over there.
0: Yep. Yeah. Think about all your ways of moving, not just the move value on your data sheets. Uh the last thing I wanted to kind of touch on here, as we're we're talking about the the objectives on these uh, missions, um. Missions that have an objective in the center are going to be different from all the others, specifically with regard to secondaries, Mm -hmm. because there are a bunch of secondaries that say do something when you're within six inches of the center of the battlefield, Uh, whether it's one of the the psychic ones or one of the others. Uh, The center of the battlefield has a sort of, like, special importance above and beyond anything else. So if you have those, suddenly those secondaries become a lot more viable, because it's not, oh, I'm sending out a unit into the middle of the battlefield where there are no objectives and he's basically, you know, useless over here. You've instead got, like, oh, I'm putting my Psyker in the center of the battlefield to do a ritual, But that's fine because I have three other units in the center of the battlefield because I want to hold that objective. Those are completely different situations.
2: Always pick secondaries that are in line with your battle plan.
0: Yes. Even
2: if they're not as optimal or high scoring, always pick them in line with your battle plan.
0: Yeah. Uh, And that is especially true for that. So let's kind of round things out here talking about the uh, the nine missions sort of more generally, but also the secondary objectives that is unique to each of them, because that is maybe the biggest difference between all of these. Like, all of these are kind of similar feeling, but the, 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 the secondary mission that you get as a potential for each of them um, is actually a pretty big deal in my experience.
1: And uh yeah, in, in this case there's a lot of times where like that is just your third secondary. Like yes. you don't. That's your auto take, don't worry about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some of those, although there's some of them that I would say are basically never takes because they are not yeah, worth no, it at all. Um all right. So, let's, let's kind of just go through these in order. Um so uh Minimize losses is the secondary objective for the first one, uh, which is basically you count up the number of units in your army, and then at the end of the battle, you score points. If you have 75% or more alive, you get 15. If you get 50% or more alive, then you get 10. And if it's 25% or more alive, then you get 5. What's your feeling on this one?
2: So this really depends on the style of your army. Is your army... Like death guard that's like, my plan is to just never die. This might mm-hmm. be more appealing to you. If your plan is more like, well, I know my guys are going to die. I have no illusions about their death. This may not be as good a plan for you.
0: Ben, do you have a, a feeling on this?
1: Um, I particularly don't like this one as much. Uh, just because in really close games and in high octane meta armies, this is a really killy addition. Your stuff's going to die. Um, mm-hmm. Now, 50%, uh, can you can't get 10 points out of this. Yeah, sure. Um, but in a lot of those cases, if I have a really bulky army that already does that, I'm probably going to hold more. Um, uh, I'm probably going to do pretty well in my secondaries, and I can probably just pick a different secondary that kind of plays more toward my list than that. That's kind of more just a, a bonus option, is what most of these missions are.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm kind of with Ben here that I I don't like this one because like sacrificial plays to hold objectives are one of the things a lot of armies are going to be doing this edition. Um and and honestly I think even having 50% of your army left is kind of optimistic.
1: It's asking a lot. <laughs>
2: Is this one of those you're, you're winning and you're winning way harder?
1: Yeah. This is a win more. This is definitely a win more. Admittedly,
0: it does count number of units in your army, uh, which means that if you have a lot of kind of like trashy units that you know aren't going to really do anything, um, you may be able to just like hide some of those. Those six squads of grots that you you left on reserve and then brought in on a back table edge and they never participated in the battle. Uh you may be able to get away with that and get 15 points out of it. Um but I feel like this is going to be a bit of a trap. It's either it makes you win harder in a game where you were already winning or it makes you lose really bad in a game that was close.
1: Yeah, I, I, firm, I firmly agree with that, and once again, since this is really a secondary, mm-hmm. um, I, I like picking the ones that don't interact with my opponent.
0: Yes, and that gives your opponent a very direct way to influence whether you get secondary points or not. Yes. Oh... Uh... So the next one is raise, uh, which is uh, six victory points for each battlefield marker that was removed from the battlefield due to the special action of that of the uh, the thing. Burning down objectives in the scorched earth mission is doable, but not really very easy. I have never actually taken that action. Now, I've admittedly only played that mission twice so not a huge sample size but i feel like this is more trouble than it's worth
2: if your army doesn't have access to awesome sauce action monkeys or struggles with actions to start with don't try this just
0: don't yeah
1: yeah As a I I like this mission for in certain times um I like oh, yeah. the fact that this is you know a choosable situation where like if you know your opponent um is going to struggle uh, to hold hmm. um a bunch of objectives uh and you just have an option to to burn um it you very you very much can and like this is one of those ones where like you could score 45 and then burn the rest um, It's true after you, so like you you, you ha- this has play. Um this isn't that bad, but it's definitely not. It's not one that you take that very often, I don't think.
0: Yeah, I suppose especially if you are sort of uh playing an early game versus late game kind of army uh, where you're going to have the edge early on, but you know your opponent is going to be able to punish you for it later. Uh, if you just get into their deployment, into their half of the table and burn two of their objectives, suddenly they're going to struggle a lot more to actually get those 15s later on.
2: That dynamic insertion and in burning objectives now looks a lot better, huh?
0: Yeah, that's that's a possibility. Uh, so yeah, we I, I, I guess that you I can see this as a uh, a plausible but not like an automatic one.
2: More used as a primary manipulation tool than, a, than an actual. A little bit, but
0: you're you're getting pri- secondary points for getting primary points, which is a good place to be. Yes. Uh, so the third one is data intercept. Uh, it's another one of these action style ones. Um, you just you get near an objective and unfortunately this one is one of the full-turn ones. You start start it on your turn, and you finish your next command phase rather than the end of your turn, um, which I... I don't like those. I, I am always very leery of that, because I, I feel like my opponent is just going to point some smart missiles or something at it, and that unit's going to go away, uh, because no one wants to like take a big, bulky, expensive, resilient unit and start doing actions with them.
2: I hate
1: that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not ideal at all um
1: Nurglings taking actions out of line of sight is pretty awesome though Nurglings
0: mostly can't take actions most of them require infantry units although this one does not oh they're
1: swarm you're right.
0: um yes this one is one of the up uh, actions that does not require uh an infantry unit um so nurglings can take the data in- data intercept um
1: yeah, as I was saying, I'm like, I had it done to me. What was. Oh, right. Yes, but
0: most, <laughs> most actions, Nurglings are not capable of. But that is an important distinction here because uh, any non aircraft unit. Uh, actually, no aircraft. No, I think there's a, a core aircraft rule. Aircraft in
2: the aircraft w- rule cannot take actions.
0: But anything else can, which includes vehicles, monsters, whatever.
2: Your rhino can take this action.
0: Yes. Uh, this one is also interesting because the scoring on it is uh, scaled. When you take the, or when you complete the action, I should say, um, you score a number of victory points equal to the number of objectives you control, um, which means it can potentially be worth a lot, but it can also be potentially worth, like, two. Um, yeah. And an action for two victory points is not, really the kind of rate you want to be uh, earning on
1: you want at least five yeah Ready for five
0: it's it, three is what i think you should be aiming for if you can't get three points per action out of this it's probably not worth it uh and this <coughs> is one of the six objective missions so three is a reasonable expectation but you you really want to be trying for four uh, and if you can... Yeah, I
1: mean, Deployment Spanners is like 3.3 technically, so... Yeah. Right there.
0: Um, I feel like this one is... Pr- Pretty takeable if you have a good midfield army because uh, in this this mission the objectives are four of them are in midfield scattered along the center line. Uh, if you can take that that center line and uh, start taking this action with like whatever one dork you've got babysitting the objective in your backfield, um, you can actually be in a pretty good place. Is like oh I scored four or five this turn uh, and you can start doing that on turn one. So that is that is a pretty. nice nice place to be if you can manage it yes
1: yeah this is a very reasonable mission um this is another even though your opponent can interact with it you it, it builds on your on what you're doing at the primary anyway and as yeah. sean said earlier that that when those interact like that that's a good place to be because it's like oh well i'm Doing what I'm supposed to be doing anyway, and if you're losing it, mm-hmm. it, it is a bad loss. But once again, if you're it, if you're losing it, you're you're losing the game hard anyway because you're not winning the primary. So yeah, um, there there is that there. So if you if you feel iffy about this mission, don't take it. But if you're doing the the traditional game plan of playing Warhammer 40k 9th Edition, <laughs> um, this is very reasonable. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, surround and destroy has surround them. Um. You know, a, a shocking development there. This one is, I don't know, uh, you get four victory points in your command phase, the end of your command phase, and at the end of the battle. So this one has both a uh, command phase scoring and an end of battle scoring, which is a little unusual, although not completely unheard of, um, if you control one or more of the objectives in your opponent's deployment So um, this is a sick objective mission with two, two objectives in their deployment zone spread pretty far apart. So that is doable. You can come in off a board edge and potentially grab one of these two objectives. If your opponent doesn't have anything particularly close to it. Um, if you manage to control both of the objectives in a single turn, you get eight points out of it. And that's a really huge swing. If you score eight victory points on one, vi- on one turn, that, that's pretty big. That's almost paying for the secondary by itself. Although I think that is a very unlikely outcome in most cases.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that feels, once again, like a win more. Yeah. Like, if you're if you're getting that, you're already yeah, pretty far I, ahead in the game. I'm
0: actually know. less inclined towards this one than I am towards the data intercept, um, because it, you have to be holding the ones in your opponent's zone. Most opponents are not going to want to let you do that.
2: There's usually their entire army between you and that. It's not really easy.
0: Um, That said, there are some armies that are just going to throw themselves across the board at you and abandon their own objectives for the most part, or leave like a token force on them. Um, If you're expecting... think like
1: Blood Angels. Yeah, Blood
0: Angels will do it. Uh, Very elite armies that just don't have the model count to strongly defend that many objectives will often do it as well. Um, you know a custodes mm-hmm. player is not gonna be able to hold four or five objectives realistically. so they're gonna they're gonna have to push guys off their home objectives. Uh, and if they're, those objectives are completely unoccupied, then this is potentially a very easy pick. Um, but again, it's more difficult than I feel many of the other secondaries are, which means it's not gonna be a default choice.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's absolute trash, but um, there, there, there's times you pick it. Once again, it's flexible. You yes, can choose to take this or not.
2: Mm-hmm. You're an adult; make your own choices.
0: Right. Hopefully, with a little bit of information on the subject.
2: That's what we're here for.
0: Vital ground uh, is another progressive one, as as most of these are. Um, You're getting three victory points for controlling the uh, objective marker in your opponent's zone, which is a pretty common uh, feature of these, and two for each of the ones that are in the middle. Uh, This is a five-objective map that has one in each zone and then two in the middle. Uh, So this is Mm -hmm. the the four-objective one that we talked about earlier. Um, I do not love this mission. Uh, because of the sort of awkward nature of its uh, fairly small number of objectives, but I have found this secondary to be relatively easy to achieve, um, because you can get either 2, 4, or 7 out of it, uh, depending on just how hog-wild you've gotten on the objectives. Um, 2, obviously, a little subpar, um, means that uh, by the end of the game, you're you know seeing maybe ten if you've scored this every turn. Uh, and notably, you can, I'm uh, sorry, you can't score it on the first turn, but you can score it on every other turn, so you'd be eight. Mm-hmm. But it's not that implausible to hold both of the objectives in midfield or the midfield objective and your opponent's home objective, which is getting you either four or five um and if you're getting four or five points on a given turn that's much more reasonable
1: and i feel like there's a lot of lists built around kind of doing what this mission wants you to do Mm -hmm. um and like with confidence i feel like i was with a lot of the metal like a lot of your like bulky um very resilient lists out there that want to go fight mid and do this yeah um I feel like they accomplish this relatively well, especially in your. I would pick this definitely um, if I know my opponent couldn't contest that uh, my mid force nearly as well as um, as I could contest them. So sure. like that this is definitely this is definitely pickable, especially with... I think some armies will will try to want to pick this whenever they can.
0: Yes, uh, also especially notable because you get this at the you know in your command phase. Um, it, it's going to score much like the primary, so the the armies that are good at holding that middle like that are going to be incredibly good at this. Yes. Uh, so, the next one is Strategic Scan, uh, which, like some of the others, gives you an action you can do. Uh, this action, like the others, does not require you to be infantry, so you you have this option with all of your units. You can also perform this action multiple times in a turn, much like Raise the Banners, uh, but it has to be done with a different unit in range of a different objective with each unit that does it. Mm -hmm. So you start the action, it completes in your next command phase, so it's another one of these full battle round uh, ones where you have to stick around and do it. Uh, And then, at the end of the battle, depending on how many different strategic scans you have completed, you gain a scaling number of victory points. Uh, So basically, you're looking to take a full round action on each of the objectives in the battle map. Um, This is a five objective mission. to max this out, you need to have scored. You need to have scanned four of those five objectives, as that'll get you fifteen points. Three of them will get you ten points. Two is five. One is three. And why did you pick this, Ben? How do you how do you feel on this one? What do you what do you approach on this? Because this is all midfield objectives on this one.
1: If it wasn't if it wasn't full battle round, yeah, it would be good. That's a tough sell. Yeah, the the full battle round is like kneecaps this one so hard. Like if it like it's still reasonably difficult to do if it, even if it was end to turn ones, or you'd have to make significant sacrifices to accomplish it. Mm.
2: Four actions is a lot to ask in a game for many for some armies.
0: It's a
1: lot, yeah.
0: Yeah, and four actions on four different objectives. Um, and full battle round actions at that. This one It's just too easy for your opponent to disrupt, I think. Um, It's going to be very, very possible for you to only get two scans on this one, and that's just not enough. Six points? Six points is trash. That's not going to win you a game. So I don't think I would be taking this one basically ever. Uh, The only exception I can see to that is because you can take this with non-infantry models, Um, if you have a bunch of reasonably resilient but also fast and expendable units, um, stuff like, you know, the quick little, like, orc buggy-style vehicles or piranhas or stuff like that... um, it's more plausible that you can just zoom onto a bunch of objectives and take a whole bunch of actions early on with these trashy little guys that you don't care whether they actually participate in the battle. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, if your opponent sees you taking three actions, it's like, well, I'm not going to stop all three of them. That's just not realistic. Um, So I can see it there, but even then I'm not thrilled with it.
2: There's so many asterisks in what you just said, so yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you, had, you had to argue really hard to take it. Let's just put it that way. Yeah.
0: So, the next one is Overrun, from the mission Overrun, where you need to overrun your opponent. JGW was very creative and come up with interesting names. Um, you score at the end of your command phase based on the number of objectives in your opponent's half of the field that you are controlling. Um, Note that this is half the field, not their deployment zone, as this is another six-objective one with kind of four in midfield, one in each deployment zone. Um, Mm -hmm. You get uh, two, three, or five points depending on how many of your opponent's objectives you have stolen from them. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually like this one. Um, Because it is a six-objective mission, uh, that means your opponent has a lot of stuff to defend in order to keep you off of it. And uh, even just holding one of them at the end of your command phase is achievable. Um, so you have a, a good possibility of getting two or three points out of this most turns of the game. And I think that's what I, you know, if you were not, if you're not, if you don't have other good possibilities that are going to get you your 12 or 14 I think this one is pretty takeable.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I like this one when you are in that situation of okay, I have two of my secondaries. What's the third?
0: Yeah, um, this isn't an this isn't an A tier secondary, but it's very acceptable. And you're you're not usually going to score less than like eight to ten on it, assuming you are doing reasonably well in the game.
2: It is the okay secondary.
0: Yeah. Yay. Uh. So. Sweep and Clear has Direct Assault, um, which is three victory points if you control uh, e- either the objective in the center of the battlefield, as this is a five-objective one, uh, or the objective in your opponent's deployment zone. Uh, this one has the Table Quarters-style deployment, uh, so you each have one objective in your zone. Uh, and if you control them both, that's five victory points. Um mm-hmm. This is another one that I feel pretty good about generally. Uh, In a five-objective mission like this, you really want to be holding the center because that's where the fight is going to be. And if you have a good chance of doing that, I think that this kind of just reinforces, like, okay, I need to hold the center, but then I also need to hold the center. Um, And this sort of just plays into your general victory plan. You're, you're you're not going to get five points out of it. Um, it. Holding the center and your opponents is very optimistic, uh, but three victory points for turn for basically the entire game is perfectly acceptable.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I I like that one a lot. Um, it's very similar. Like I said, once again, to it's it's a it's. I like it more than some of the actual secondaries, actually. Yes. Um, because some of them, I'm only guaranteeing to get ten out of. Uh, with this one, I'm I'm like okay, I can factoring two more points mm-hmm. might be your game winning difference.
0: Absolutely. Um, and even in a uh, you know, somewhat subpar situation, controlling it for three turns is still pretty plausible. That's still nine points. Nine points is not terrible.
1: Yeah. It, it it's a it's a it's a well bad bad things happened, mm-hmm. and I played subpar. Nine. Oh, that's less than ten. But also, once again, like I, if I'm sure on an average basis, I can get twelve. I'll I'll take an average twelve and sometimes get that nine. Yeah. Um, the final
0: one is actually very similar to that. Um, this mission is priority target, which is the five objectives in kind of like a box with one in the center. Uh, and you each get to move one of, or I guess you actually get to move two of them, but only one of them will be your priority objective. Um, uh, So, there are going to be two priority objectives on the battlefield, one that you selected, one that your opponent selected. Uh, At the end of your turn, if you control either of them, you get three points, if you control both of them, you get five. Um, Yay! I don't see how you fail to get twelve out of this, and you should get 15
1: yeah this is the auto take this is the highest scoring one this is the um you know these these are the you know how do you score so many points this is this is one of the missions where that comes from yes
0: Mm -hmm. uh because it doesn't stop you from scoring it in the first turn of the game and it Mm -hmm. scores at the end of your turn so
2: totally doable
0: you should get three points basically every turn from this control one objective of your choice is the easiest secondary you will ever get also
2: you get to move this objective into a place that's even more advantageous for you
0: yep so yes um if you are playing priority target you take this one um unless your opponent has some sort of fantastically damaging unit that they can catapult onto your objective and deny you. And you're not going to be able to handle that for like two or three turns. But if that's happening to you, you're probably in a pretty bad place anyways. So uh, very rarely are you not going to take this. All right. Well, I think that covers all of the missions here. We've kind of run a little bit longer than usual, but this is also a pretty big subject, so I don't feel too terrible about that. Hopefully our our listeners don't mind that we have violated the strict word of the title of our podcasts.
1: Oh no.
2: We've done it before, we'll do it again. Yeah,
0: I know. We'll simply have to await their wrath. And if you have some wrath you want to send our way, you 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 have a very angry email about how those ten minutes of your time were the difference between, I don't know, becoming a millionaire or not. I'm gonna assume that's what it was. Um, you can send us an email, and in the finest hour although it's no longer an hour we're going to have to dump that email I'm sorry everyone uh or you can get in contact with us on Facebook or if you actually like that we made our episode a little bit longer because uh you you got more bonus content this week and you'd like to reward us for that then for 5 bucks a month you can join up with our Patreon and you'll get access to the private Discord as well as the Facebook group and everything and you can interact with us in a little bit more personal of a manner So thank you very much to all the people who've done that already. We really appreciate your uh, patronage of our podcast. And we uh, made this one a little bit bigger just for you. We know you all are requesting it.
2: I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for the awesome, awesome art. You can find him on Facebook and
1: Instagram. And if you dig the music that plays on our wonderful cast, that is provided to us by Dankmuse. You can find him on YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud.
0: So, I think that wraps it up for this week. Next week, we're going to talk about a subject that is... You know, maybe less directly about the game itself and more about the hobby. We're going we're gonna to talk about conversions and 3D printing and how those are impacting the hobby uh, and the views each of us have, because I think each of us have some sort of uh, unique stances on there due to factors of our own. Uh, so it'll be a little bit different from our normal, and I think it's something to look forward to. I'm excited. For this week, I have been Sean Morgan, Ben Jordan. Thanks for listening.